First John chapter 1, we will only be reading the first four verses today from this passage. I read or heard, I don't remember, it's a podcast or something I was reading this past week about the inspiration of Scripture. And the teacher was talking about how God used human personality in the inspiration of his word. It's inspired. We believe that. We believe the inerrancy of the scripture. I believe that. It's a core belief of God's people throughout the ages that this Bible has been written by men divinely inspired, as Peter said, that the word of God did not come by the will of man, but men were moved by the spirit of God to pen the words. I believe that. Yet at the same time, God used individual personality. And men expressed the same thing in different ways. And I find John to be one of the most eloquent of writers in in the Bible. We have just for some time, not too long ago, of course, looked at the Gospel of John from the beginning to the end, as we looked at it over two years. And I'm reminded And the Lord has brought our thoughts to these four verses today. And as you read them, you're reminded of the eloquence with which God blessed John to express some of the most marvelous truths about God, who he is, who we are, and how we can know him. And I want to read these four verses and we pray that God would help us to speak upon them in a way that would be pleasing and helpful. For one day I will stand before God and give an account for what I told you today here about these verses. I don't take that lightly, and I will not be able to perform that rightly without the help of God. And I pray that as we have thought and prepared, that we now would depend upon Him to give you, to tell us what we need to hear. John says, "...that which was from the beginning." which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. There are many people today who are disillusioned with Christianity with, maybe we would say, the church, with the whole idea. And I I think in some respects this is understandable given the state of much of Christianity today in the world. I believe that people have seen sensationalism substituted for substance, entertainment for depth of understanding, and presence and fellowship with God and His Spirit. I've seen that it appears 
that in many ways church has become more about the show than the reality of presence of a presence with, of God in the midst of his people. And the problem with that is it doesn't last beyond the service. It might entertain, it might it might wow people, people might be impressed. But in the end they're left as empty as when they came. And it's just a show. And I would tell you this today that I'm not sure that any one denomination is immune from this. I think in some ways the church today, Christianity today has become so much less than what we read about in the scripture and I don't want to I don't want to romanticize the past. I don't want to be naive enough to think that Today, we're just all a mess and that a hundred years ago, people had it all together. I don't know that our times are all that different than any other time when you really start to think about it. I think there probably have always been places and times when God has been real and when God has been replaced. I pray this morning that God has not been replaced in your heart, but that he is real But so many places that seems that God is not present. And yet everyone around is claiming that he is. This very scripture might be read. Other places in the Bible might be studied. But there's something that's missing. That's the real presence of God. This is not how it needs to be. It's not how it should be. And it's not how it is in many places. I want to read to you a quote from the book that we've been talking about. I've been reading. You may have saw this earlier, but A.W. Tozer in his book, The Crucified Life, says this. God still has those who are not content with superficial worship. They do not want anything Artificial. They want to know that whatever they have is real. They would rather it be small and real than large and unreal. And so it is better to have a little church that is real than a big church that is artificial. It is better to have a simple religion that is real than to have a great ornate ceremony that is only hollow and empty. Tozer says things in ways that resonate with me and many others, I think, today. Because while there does seem to be a great current today of Christianity that has been made something other than real, there are places where it is still very real. I've met many churches here in the United States with people that are striving to serve God, and I pray that God would equip them and enable them to live lives of transparency before the world and a life that tells the world about the very real presence of God in their life. And I want to talk to you today, if there's a title that you would like to record, it is the presence of God or it is the true knowledge of God, the personal knowledge of God in Christ, the personal Knowledge of God in Christ. And the question that I would ask you today is, do you know Jesus personally? Do you really know him?
Do you really know who he is? Is he a true reality in your life? Or is he much more akin to a character that you read about in a book? Is he real to you? Do you know him? The Bible does not present the shallow message of Christ that is presented in so many places in the world today. He is not presented in the scripture with a lot of pomp and circumstance, but no real comfort. He is not presented to us in scripture as someone that we may think we know, but we do not know for certain that we do. If there is an eternal crime that has been committed against the church by Satan, it is this. It is the convincing of so many in Christianity that you can be a follower of Christ and not really know Him. That your Christianity is more about some striving to be something than you're striving to know Him and the power of His might in your life. And there is a multitude of people that every day leave this world and they go into the next and they have been told or they have done the thing. They have followed the religious exercise. They have tried to live a life that has been good in the eyes of other men. They have tried to tithe. They have tried to be at church every time the doors are open. They've tried to not curse. They've tried to not take advantage of their friends. And they've tried to live good lives in front of their employers and their co-workers and they leave this life without ever knowing God in Christ. And so I ask you today, do you know Him personally? And let me ask you this in, in relation to that as well. What if I ask Him, Lord, do you know them? Because see, it's not enough. If I would say that I have a friend who is a a person of influence and position. Maybe if I lived a long time ago in the time of kings and I said, oh, I know the king, he's my friend. Then somebody came up to the king and said, do you know this person? And he said, no. Then my claim to be his friend, of course, is empty. It's hollow. The relationship isn't real. It's made up maybe in my mind. Maybe I have designed this king to be the type of person I want him to be, but I've not really come to know him. I've not really walked with him through the good times and the difficult and the terribly horrific times in this life. I've not been there when I have, he's not been there with, with me as I've shed tears and as I've laughed and as I've gone through my life. So many people say, Oh, I know the Lord. The question really truly is, does he know you? So it isn't just about whether I am asking you, do you know him? The real question I'm asking you today is, does he know you? Have you met him? Do you know who he is? Do you have this personal knowledge of Christ? Do you know God in this way? As I've said, many will say things like, I think so, I hope so, but I'm not certain. And I would ask you to find in the word of God a single believer who left this life 
clinging to, I hope so, I think so. You'll not find one. The Bible, again, as we said, does not present this sort of message about what it is to be a child of God. And John here in these first four verses of First John tells us of the personal knowledge of God in Christ. And I want to call upon you to consider whether or not your relationship with Christ, with God through Christ, is real or not. John begins and says that which was from the beginning. And of course, we know he's talking about Christ. That which was from the beginning. We might ask, the beginning of what? The beginning of everything. The beginning of all beginnings. The beginning when there was nothing else, Christ was. As he said, John did in his gospel and opened it with those beautifully eloquent words. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The same in the, was in the beginning with God. So from the beginning, the very moment before there was anything else, God was. And so you might say, before even this, and the answer to that question is yes, before even that, before there was anything else, Christ was in his person, having fellowship with his Father and the Holy Spirit, eternally before the world began. Jesus is talking about this one. This is the one. This one is the one you are to have a relationship with, to to come to know. This one who has seen every epoch of human history transpire, every battle that has ever waged among men, every time of famine, every time of drought, every time of struggle, every time of momentous historical import, Christ has been. And there's some important consequences and implications of this truth. It means that there has not been a moment in time when Christ has not stood as the Lamb slain so that we might be saved. There has not been anyone at any point in history who has not had the opportunity to come to know this Christ, this Jesus, this one who brings us to God. There's not been a moment when that has not been offered to men and women. That which was from the beginning. Before I ever knew him. He knew who I was. And when we say that, we know the question being, do we have this relationship with God? And he will say to those that do not come to him in repentance and faith, depart from me, I never knew you. Yet he called me, as as Jeremiah said, from the womb. And as so many others in Scripture talked about, God bringing them to, to this world and bringing them so that we might have fellowship with God through Christ. That is why we were born. That is why we have life. There is no other reason than that. Christ alone, God alone, and our fellowship with him and then with one another. 
And it has been given to us from the beginning. There's never been a moment of time, and I thank God for this, that there has not been one who stood as that lamb slain, Christ Jesus, our Lord. Do you know Him? Do you have a relationship with Him? Do you know more than just facts about Him? But have you had times in your life, have you had a moment in your life when you came to know Him in the pardon of sin? And He became more to you than just words on a page. He became more to you than just a cross in your home. He became more to you than a bracelet. What would Jesus do? He became more to you than just the religious way of life that perhaps you lived. He became your God and your Savior, your Lord and your King, your friend, your confidant, your comforter, your chastiser, your corrector. He became the one who is closer to you than anyone else and anything else. And He has been that on offer from the beginning. He saw me and He knew me and He made it to where on that day when I was 11 years old, He spoke to my heart and let me know I was lost And I became one of His that day. And I knew Him and He knew me. And one day I'm going to stand before Him, my Lord and my King and my Savior, and He is going to say, come and enter in, you blessed of my Father. He is not going to say, come and enter in, you who have done such a wonderful job. He's not going to say, come on in, can't you've just, you've lived your life in such a way that it's been pleasing. You did more good than bad, so come on in. He's not going to say, come on in, you've been preaching, and if he calls me home today, you've been preaching for some 29 years, come on in. He's not going to say that. He's going to say, come enter you who have been blessed by my Father. You who came to know him, Through me. I don't know why people are disillusioned with church and with Christianity today. It's because so much of Christianity has forgotten this bedrock of truth. That it's all about knowing Christ and God through Him. It's not about any of these other things. It's not about any of these other activities that we go through in a religious way of life. It's about knowing Him and the implications of His being available and eternal from the beginning. From the very beginning is important. It also means, by the way, that He didn't have any help with this plan of salvation. We didn't help God out with salvation. We didn't design it. We didn't create it. We didn't invent it. Which part of the gospel would you have come up with had God not revealed it to you? The virgin birth, would you have come up with that? The birth of the very Son of God in the world, He would become man and yet retain His divinity and be man and yet all God, would you? Would you have arrived at that conclusion had God not revealed it to us in His Word? No, you wouldn't have. Of course not. Would you have sent the message to the world that the Son of God has come into the world by sending angels to talk to a bunch of shepherds on a hillside? Now we'd have sent the, we'd have sent the messengers to the kings, wouldn't we? We'd have broadcast it on the most well-known channels of the day. 
If he was to come today, we would blast it on Facebook, on Twitter, on CNN, on Fox News, on every possible bulletin board and billboard in the world. We would post it and say, the Lord has come. Would you have come up with the plan that God said, I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to send my son. He's going to be born in a manger. The owner of every molecule of the universe that 2,000 years later, we'll steer, we are still trying to look out and see it all. Would you have come up with that? Would you have come up with the Son of God dying at the hands of men and actually dying at the hands of His own Father? Is that the plan of salvation you would have come up with? No. We would never have written this story. Only God writes this story. And it was written from the beginning. Christ as a lamb from the foundation of the world. This is the one that we must know. And truly know. Truly know. That's this, this John right here in a speculative manner. Does he say unequivocally or does he hedge? Does he say, well, I think Jesus is like this. I I think that being a Christian is like this. It's not what happens. Listen to him. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon, And have touched with our hands. We have seen him. John says, I have seen him. I have heard him. I have touched him. I know him. Is this ambiguous? Is John writing of someone that he merely has an idea about? Does he say, yes, I lived and I walked with the man named Jesus. I think he was the son of God. Does he say, I'm pretty convinced that he was? No, he says, I know he was. I saw him. And I know the greater or the larger, greater context of this whole letter. John is is attacking head on one of the Terrible heresies of his time and of the day of people saying that Jesus was not a man, that he only appeared that way. I know who John is writing to, but in writing to them, he writes to us all and he says, I have seen him. I have known him. What did he hear? That's what he said first. I've heard him. What did John hear Jesus say? Because if we want to know Jesus like John knows him, ought we not hear what John heard about what Jesus said? Well, Jesus said many things. But at the very beginning, in his early days of his ministry, according to Mark in chapter 1, verse 14, Now after John was arrested, that is John the Baptist, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, This is what John the writer here Heard Jesus say, no doubt heard him say it many times over the three and a half years that he walked with him. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent 
and believe the gospel. That's what John heard Jesus say. Repent and believe the gospel. And that's what he says to you. That's what he said to me. If not in those exact words, he let me know that I was lost and I was a sinner. And without him, I was destined to go to a hell not prepared for man, but for the devil and his angels. But he convicted me and he called out to me and he said, the time is fulfilled. Now is the time for 4,000 years of human history. It looked forward to this day that we just read when Jesus said, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And I say to you today, the same thing remains true right now. The time is fulfilled. The time is now. Today is the day of salvation. And more accurately, now is the time of salvation. If I tell you today is the day of salvation, you might say, okay, then I'll, then tonight. Tonight I'll get saved. But that's not what really the scripture says. It says now. Now. John heard Jesus say this. Now is the time. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And that's what we too must hear in order for us to know him. In order for us to know him. There must be this hearing from God through the Holy Spirit as he bears witness to us of the truth that without God we have no hope in this world. What did they see? He said, I heard him. And he said, I've seen him. In John chapter 17, we read verses 1 and 2. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he, that is Jesus, was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. John saw Christ transfigured and he saw the Son of God. He heard him say, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. He saw Christ transfigured and in a way saw exactly who he was in his glory and in his greatness and in his majesty and in his might. And John looked at him and he saw it. And we have to have a similar kind of experience. And again, don't misunderstand me. Salvation comes to us when we hear Christ in our hearts and He calls out to us, it's time. Now is the time. Has God called to your heart that way? It's time. Have you been putting Him off? It's not time in your opinion. I've got too much of my life to live. I've got too many other things going on. God, you're going to get in my way if I submit to you. And yet God, through the Holy Spirit, is telling you and repeating the words of Christ Himself when He said, Now is the time. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I pray 
you will heed that call. And that you will see Christ in a similar way as John did in your mind and in your heart and through the Scripture and through the Spirit of God as you see Christ transfigured. He is the King of kings and He is the Lord of lords and I owe Him my life. He laid down His so that I might have mine, so that I might have life not only here, but I'd have it eternally. And see Him as the Son of God calling out to you He heard him. He saw him. We read as well. He said, we touched him. We have felt him. Our hands have handled him. And we are reminded of John chapter 20 with Thomas. Then Jesus said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand And place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. I know that we cannot reach out our hands and touch the physical Christ today. But I tell you, one day I will. There's a man in heaven today who is our sacrifice. He is all man. He is all God. And do not misunderstand. He did not set aside his humanity when he went back to heaven. He stands today as the sacrifice for sin. Overcoming death and the grave. And he says to Thomas to reach out and to touch him. And no doubt over those days between the resurrection and Pentecost and the time that Jesus left, John held him. And Jesus even at times would say, give me something to eat. I am flesh. I am blood. I am bones. I am humanity. And when we see him and hear him, and then spiritually and through faith we reach out, we can almost touch him. He's made so real. But I want you to hear John as he talks about seeing I want you to hear John as he talks about seeing him. We have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon. We saw him. Do you, do you see and sense the voluntary nature of this looking? You know, I think sometimes people, God calls, he draws, he speaks to them, and draws them to himself. And he draws them to, con- to repentance by conviction of sin. And they close their eyes or they turn away. And they don't look upon him. And they are almost like that child. That child who, in their, in their stubbornness, if there's something they don't want to see, and you've all seen children do this, they'll close their eyes and pretend it's not there. And you know, when you play with infants, small babies, that game of peekaboo and how much fun that they get out of that. You're there and then you're not. Till they learn that thing called object permanence. And sometimes I think we are spiritually infantile when we try to close our eyes to God and pretend that He isn't there. He is there. He's always there. The question is, are you looking? Are you looking upon Him? Or are you looking away from Him? 
He's called you, perhaps. You've heard him. He comes and he says to you, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Do you look upon him and the truth of who he is and what he is, or do you set your gaze somewhere else? I ask you today, look now upon Christ. Charles Spurgeon, the man who had preached to millions and indeed continues to preach to millions through the recorded sermons that he gave in the 1800s. He was saved in a little old church in the middle of a snowstorm with, I think, six people. The preacher couldn't show up because he couldn't get through the snow. A deacon stood up and began to bring something from the Word of God and he said, look to Christ. And those words gripped Spurgeon like none other. And he looked to him and he said, I was saved and redeemed and the world became different and the difference is this will you look upon him or will you look away but I want to warn you if you look away from Christ now he will look away from you in judgment he will turn his eyes from you and they never again will be settled upon you For all of eternity you will be separated in darkness, never to have the light of the city of heaven shine upon your face. Don't look away. Look upon Him. See Him on the cross for you. Know that He died there for you because of your sin. And don't listen to the charlatan who will sell his religious wares to say that Jesus just came here to make your life a little better here. Oh, that God would shut every mouth and cling every tongue to the roof of its mouth that would say something so silly and so unbiblical as that. That Jesus is just wanting you to have your best life here. What a bunch of silliness. What a bunch of heresy. What a way to heal the hurt of people lightly and say peace, peace, when there is no peace. Look upon Him. Hear Him. And then through faith, reach out to Him. Have you heard that song? I love the song. He touched me. Something happened. Something happened and now I know. He touched me and He made me whole. Don't you say for a moment that we can't touch Christ. We can through the Spirit of God. And we'll say more about that in a moment. John goes on and he said, the life in verse 2 was made manifest. The life was made manifest. This Christ was made manifest among us. We didn't invent Him, as we've said earlier. We didn't create Him. He created us. We did not come up with this plan. He came up with it. This is a necessity to know Christ personally through, or to know God personally through Christ, there is a necessity that He be made manifest. That God call you to Himself in this way. John 6.44, Jesus says, No one can come to Me unless the Father who had sent Me draw Him, and then I will raise Him up in the last day. Then I will raise Him in the last day. This is why this reality that 
we read here where John says he was made manifest should silence every idea, every thought in our mind that we can do this on our own, that we can be saved without the power of God working in our heart, that we can choose to simply accept a moral set of standards to live by, that we can choose to believe in creation versus evolution and call ourselves Christian because of it. That we can choose God. That we can go up to Him and say, God, fine, I choose you. Before God's ever revealed Himself to you. What arrogance of man that is. Think about it for just a minute. Would you dare do that to a human king? You're a servant. You're a peasant in the kingdom. A criminal, I should say, not just a peasant. You're a criminal in the kingdom. You're going to and fro and you're stealing and you're committing all kinds of crimes and you're hurting all kinds of people around you and you come one day and somebody says, you know, you should accept the king's law and they and you say, yeah, I probably should. And you go into the king, somehow you get through the guards and you say, king, I accept your law. You think the king's going to go, okay. I'm glad. Now now you're going to be thrown into prison because you're guilty. Nobody wants to hear that. God must manifest Himself first. That's what happened to me. That's what happened to Adam. That's what happened to Abraham. Did Abraham one day say, you know what, I'm... I think I need to go away from my home. I think I need to go do this and I need to do it for God. You know, he, he just, did he come up with this plan? Did he say, everybody's got to come with me? And they say, what do we do? And Abraham says, well, I've got this plan. And we're going to please God with it. No. No. Did Amos leave his country Did he leave Judea and go to the nation of Israel and say, look, 30 years and you're going to be overwhelmed and God's coming in judgment. Save yourself. Did he go there and say, oh, I've got this plan and I think this is going to please God. This is the problem of our day. Too many people thinking they have an idea of how they're going to impress God. You can't. You can't impress him. So why try? And by the way, if if the relationship with God isn't real, let me ask you a very dangerous question. If your relationship with God isn't real, why are you faking it? Why? What are you gaining? What are you advantaged? And if God has not come to you as he did to Adam and Eve after their sin, and we can use that as another example, did Adam and Eve go running to God after they ate of that apple or that fruit? Of course not. We know the answer. They went and hid. Did these 12 apostles in the New Testament say, you know what, I'm going to impress God. I'm going to follow this guy who says he's the son of God. No, no. He was made manifest when I was 11 years old in southwest Missouri at Baptist Hill. 
in that sanctuary out there in that little campground that I'd been in many times as a boy, sitting there in that seat next to my best friend, God manifested himself to me. And how did he do it? Not to my heart's door and let me know I was lost. What a merciful God. He could have let me go and been righteous in his judgment. But he came and said, you're lost. But I sent my son to die for you. And this Jesus, who I had memorized scriptures about, I'd been to state Bible drill. I was a good little boy. I didn't know Jesus. But I knew him that day. He manifested himself. He's, it's like Paul. It's not the same, of course. Paul is unique in so many ways. But it is Paul in his Damascus road. Did Paul come to himself and say, you know, these Christians, they're nice people. Why am I persecuting them? No. The manifestation of the Son of God is what turned their lives around. Everyone we read in Scripture. And it's what has turned every life around since then. And it's what will turn every life around in the future. A manifestation of the Son of God. Now, once God has manifested Himself to you, you don't control that. God does. You don't go to Jesus before Jesus calls you. You don't. That's based upon God's word and experience of my own and countless others that I have read about and countless others that I have known in my life. And those here even today who would tell you about their salvation. It was God who came to me. But once he does manifest himself, you can't ever go back. You can't. You can ignore him. You can choose to make your own decision. And over the last couple of weeks, as we've been talking, you can make a terrible trade or you can make a good trade, but you can't ever go on in ignorance again. Because God has manifested himself to you. As we work toward a close here today, we... We see verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. John says that that we know, that that I know, I am proclaiming to you. This personal knowledge that he had was not a selfish knowledge. It wasn't something he wanted to keep to himself. He wanted everybody else to know Jesus too. He said, look, this God, this Christ who has made it possible for us to be made right with God. He has manifested Himself to me. I've heard Him. I've seen Him. I've touched Him. I know He is exactly who He said He was. And I want to proclaim Him to you. And I want to do the same. I want to add my voice, my very small voice to John's and say to you today and proclaim to you today that we can know God through Christ but it is and must ever be a personal knowledge of him. John gives us a clue as to what this is all about. 
Sometimes people think that salvation, the knowledge of God, I think sometimes in some circles and in some ways, we can turn Christianity into simply a ticket to heaven instead of fellowship with God. We can, and I think we do. And so we get this idea in our head. Well, let's make sure we check that box. Let's make sure I've got that ticket. Because I want to go to heaven. But there seems to be very little concern about fellowship with God. In the meantime, and I would ask you today, if you don't want to have fellowship with God today, what makes you think you're going to want to have fellowship with Him in the endless age of eternity? Do you think you're not going to have any better choices? It's fellowship with God. That's what this is all about. It's the personal knowledge of God in Christ. The whole purpose, he says, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. When John says this and says to you, I am proclaiming this to you so that you too can have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. He is inviting you and me to a fellowship that already exists. It was already there and He's inviting you into it. He's not inviting you to a new fellowship. It's a fellowship that has preceded time itself. And he's inviting you into that fellowship. And that is what this life and the next is all about. Fellowship with God. Knowing Him and walking with Him and being with Him. Being made more like Him. Heaven is fellowship with God. It's not streets of gold and impressive buildings and a mansion that's my own. It's fellowship with God. Fellowship with God. And I would tell you to you, fellowship is a thing that is personal, is it not? Is fellowship not personal? Something that lives within us. Does this make your heart long for heaven? When I read Revelation 22, 1 through 5. Does this stir you, your, the inward part of you, your, your spiritual man? To long for that day when we walk out of this world and into the next. This same writer, John. Then the angel showed me, that is John, the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruits, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer... No longer will there be anything accursed. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And His servants will worship Him. And they will see His face. And His name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. I ask you, Today, in all honesty and sincerity, do you have a better offer here? All the lights and the glamour and the glitz of this world and the public proclamation and adoration of mankind that is 
one day going to come to a deafening silence. Do you have a better offer here than what we just read? I don't think so. I don't think so. So we end here where we began. Do you know God through Christ? Have you heard him? Have you seen him? Have you touched him? And you might say, well, how can I? I wasn't, I wasn't there when John was there. Jesus is not here in the flesh. How can I do these things? How can I hear him? How can I see him? How can I feel him and know him? Romans 8.16, I would like to turn there. Important passage of scripture to answer this question. The Spirit Himself, not itself, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That's how. The Spirit of God. Now, as I conclude my remarks today, I want to make a couple of statements I know that there is a lot of silliness, fanaticism, and crazy, to be honest, things that happen under the auspices of the movement of the Spirit of God that God has absolutely nothing to do with. I understand that. I know that. I've seen it. I've seen it here. I've seen it in Liberia. I've seen it. I've seen the abuse of the words, God told me, the Spirit is moving me, and then fill in the blank something contrary to what the written Word of God says. And I say to you today, the Spirit of God doesn't change His mind. I understand there is that danger. I understand it. But I want to tell you this. I also understand the terrible danger in what Edgar Young Mullins called a bare rationalism about Christianity that's absent the power of God in the Spirit. We must guard our hearts and our churches, our homes, our own lives against these two extremes. And Satan doesn't care which one you choose. I know he doesn't. There is a great need among Christianity today to be restored to the true power of God in the Holy Spirit as He would move and work and as He would take the words and make them more than just words and speak in ways that humans can't speak on their own and convince you and call you to Himself. There is a great lack of power among Christianity today and even in our own lives because we do not walk with the Spirit of God on a day-to-day basis. It's been said and it's true about a minister of the gospel that his life, his life is the life of his ministry. The absence of such a life A deep spiritual connection with God that will explain the absence of any power with God in the pulpit or in His ministry. As I even was preparing this week, I 
I said, God, help me to understand this message and how it draws me closer to you. Help me to be more concerned about understanding it than preaching it. And may we all have that in our Bible study. God, help me to understand what it should mean for me when I'm in the depths of grief and my heart is broken and I don't know which way is up and I don't know which way is down in this world. I don't know what tomorrow brings. I don't know what it holds. But God, I know you and that's all that matters. I know that there is a period of time from now until the time I leave this world and every day between now and then may have pain and heartache and sorrow, but it is all worth it because I'm going to a place that is of unspeakable glory because of your son who you sent into the world so that I might know you. God, make me more than just a mouthpiece. Make me some a vessel in your hands to, to convince and to show people of your love and mercy. If the Spirit of God is prompting you today to repentance and faith, obey that prompting. Obey Him. Fall upon your knees and cry out to him. You will find him to be who he says he is. A God of mercy and grace. Long suffering. And a God who does not enjoy. Does not desire any to perish. But desires all to come to repentance. If you do that. I cry. I would earnestly cry out to you. To come and to seek him. You, you will be changed you will be given a peace that passes all understanding. And the only explanation you'll be able to give is God did it. Can't give you any other explanation. If your description of salvation involves something like this. Well, I did what the pastor told me to do. It's not enough. I did what the church tradition tells us to do. It's not enough. If your description of salvation is this, he called. I saw my sin. I repented. I believed the gospel. He spoke peace to my heart and took the burden away set my feet on a rock and establish my goings. And I know that I am on my way to him. That sounds a lot better. I want to close with Revelation twenty-two seventeen. Just echo, echo these words. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. That is God and the Church. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. That's all of us. And let the one who is thirsty, that's those who don't know God and have not drunk of the water of life. Let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I say that to you. Come and drink of the water of life.
until you know and you can say, I know him. And one thing that'll be free, I won't charge for this. Do you know who John was writing to in 1 John? Saved people. We don't want to misquote scripture and misapply it. If you know the Lord, but your fellowship with him has been suffering or is suffering. That's who John is writing to. Come in fellowship again. Take off the shackles of the world. Come and once again have that joy of your salvation restored.